join me in the call to worship. The Holy One is here in this community of faith. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. Let us meditate on God's wondrous works. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. Let us bless and praise God's name forever and ever. Great is our God and greatly to be praised.
The God of all creation calls us into life and life abundant. Every day we have the opportunity to choose our actions and to adjust our mindsets. And yet we needn't do that alone. We can turn to God, lean on God, call out for healing, help, and grace. Let us turn together toward the God of forgiveness and the God of possibility. Let us pray. Holy One, what a blessing and privilege we share here in this sacred space and among this loving community. Forgive us our reluctance to open our doors and open our hearts to others, some like us, some not. We repent of our hesitations and unwillingness to welcome those we have considered strangers or even enemies. Open our hearts and heal our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The one who calls us to this place calls us to reconciliation through grace. God will not deny a repentant heart or an open spirit. Friends, believe this good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. As we prepare our hearts to share a sign of Christ's peace, I invite those of you worshiping with us online to take this time to sign the digital pew pad by scanning the QR code on your screens or clicking on the link below the live stream. And here in the sanctuary, we invite you to greet those around you, wishing them peace or the peace of Christ. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us share Christ's peace. Well, good morning and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church. We gather together each Sunday in order to catch a glimpse of the reign of God, the realm of God, the day of God's promises. We gather together to practice loving and welcoming as Jesus did, reaching across barriers, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of all people, our life together continues to fold with each new person who joins us. And people are joining us online today from places like Fort Dodge, Iowa, Plymouth, Minnesota, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Suffolk, England, and points in between and beyond. We welcome all of you to this community and to this day. I invite those of you in the sanctuary to fill out the pew pads that you find at the end of each row and pass them to your neighbors so that we can know that you are here and receive any updates on your contact information. 
There are so many ways to participate in the life of this church. The entire second half of your bulletin, pages 7 through 11, is filled with many opportunities. And I encourage you to thumb through those pages today to explore those opportunities, which include ways for us to learn and grow together, from joining a walking pilgrimage in Spain to exploring our role in combating anti-Semitism. There will also be a great panel presentation with Natalie Moore and Amy Hilado on Thursday, January 25th, helping us to learn more about the migrant situation in Chicagoland and how we might be part of addressing that. There will also be a Michigan Avenue Forum with the best-selling author Robert P. Jones on the hidden roots of white supremacy and the future of American democracy. His book by the same title is widely available, and you might want to take a look at that before the event, which will be on Wednesday evening, January 31st. In this new year, a particular focus of our church is our long-range planning work. Your input in that process is essential. And to facilitate that input, the Long Range Planning Task Force is hosting a number of sessions, both in person and on Zoom, in which we invite your feedback to the proposed strategic direction and goals. You can find details in your bulletin, and on our website, you can find a complete schedule with registration links. So please do be sure to register. We have a guest preacher at our 2 p.m. service today, the Reverend Izette Sama Hernandez, who is co-director of the Martin Luther King Center in Havana, Cuba, and is part of the Havana Chicago Partnership, of which our church is a part. And after worship this morning, of course, you are warmly invited to coffee hour through the doors to your left. You will also see in the bulletin details about our annual Gala of Hope, which supports the life-changing work of Chicago Lights, something which Betsy Zeiger has been involved with. And so I know, now invite Betsy and Reverend R forward so we can he hear a few more words about this exciting upcoming event. See, thank you so much for being here. As, as uh, Pastor Nanette said, the Chicago Lights Gala will be occurring on March the 1st. Tickets are available in Anderson Hall after worship. I know you have given a lot of time to the ministry of Chicago Lights. Tell us a little bit about what you find important in this ministry of Chicago Lights. Well, it doesn't take much to look down the street and see that people are struggling. And that is very, they're struggling with homelessness, extreme poverty, and quite honestly, hopelessness. And that's where Chicago Lights and its programs come in. For 40 years, the Social Services Center have really helped guests in our community. They've helped over 50,000 people. They've helped them find food for their family by going to our food pantry. They've helped them by giving them clothes that will keep them warm in this crazy Chicago cold. They've helped them find permanent and temporary housing. For over 20 years, our urban farm has been operating, and they've been helping our Chicago community not only learn how to grow their own food, but send them home with grocery bags full of fresh produce for their families. 
And then what we'll be lifting up at the gala this year, our tutoring program. For 60 years, our Chicago Lights tutoring program have been working with children from under-resourced neighborhoods. They've been pairing together and giving them one-on-one -on -one academic tutoring, also <laughs> creating wonderful bonds and lifelong support. So in our social services center in last year, on average, we saw an increase of new guests of 171%. Obviously, this need is growing, and the Chicago Lights work is very impactful in our community. So as you look out here, you'll see friends uh, here in this congregation who are engaged in Chicago Lights. But for those who have not had a chance, would you mind telling us what it has meant to you to be part of this mission? Well, it's meant to me to support people like Jerry. Jerry lived under the L tracks for 10 years, scared, cold, and now Jerry lives in his own home with his own keys, safe and sound. It's meant um, supporting people like Frank, who grew up in the row houses of Cabrini Green. He came to the urban farm and he worked with our, farm, our farmers and learned how to grow food. Now, I'm happy to report he is working on his own, supporting his own family in urban agriculture. It means supporting people like Grace, who came to us as a young child, and she was paired with a wonderful tutor. And Grace really, with her one-on-one -on -one academic tutoring, really, really like, succeeded. And now she's in college, a college of her choice. So as you can see, the Chicago Lights programs and the stories, could go, I could go on and on, but I know that my support is helping break the cycle of poverty. And I think that's what we as a fourth community are all about, is helping our neighbors. So there's information about this, uh, Gayla, it's on the last page of your uh, bulletin, but tell us what might not be in here. Well, what is not in there is that um, the gala is actually the largest fundraiser for Chicago Lights. So all these programs and all of these people that we have helped has been a large part of the result of the success of the gala. Um, another thing that is new and exciting this year is it's a new venue. It's at the, this is hard to say, the newly renovated old post office. But it's really <laughs> wonderful. I've been and it promises to be a magical night. Um, but what's the most important thing that you don't know is that this is just a really fun night for our community to come together and just dance to the Ken Arlen Band, support this wonderful partner of ours by partaking in the live and silent auctions, and just getting to know each other just a little bit better. So I just really hope that you guys all run to the Anderson Hall and buy a ticket and come and support the 60th anniversary of the tutoring program on March 1st with me. Thanks so much for telling us about that. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Thank you.
Let us pray. You have declared that your kingdom is among us. O、oh、God, now open our eyes to see it, our eyes to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Salsa reading this morning is from Jonah 1. Listen now for God's words to us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son Amittai, saying, Go once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on a board to go to with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fell asleep. The captain came and said to him, What, was you, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast a lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, what people are you? I am Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made a sea, the dry land. Then men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then he said to him, What shall we do to you? The sea may quiet down for you. For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me. This great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the man rowed too hard to bring the ship back to her land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of his man's life. Do not make us guilty, innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea. The sea ceased from the, its raging. Then men feared the Lord even more. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and made a bow. But Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the God for people of God. Thanks be to God. The story of Jonah continues. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I call to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How can I look again upon your holy temple? The waters close in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the foot of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, for a couple of weeks, I want us to linger with Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God, and I don't know if you've noticed, but being a prophet of God is a job that almost nobody wants. Jeremiah said he would rather die than be a prophet. Moses tried to substitute his brother Aaron. Isaiah asked, what do you want me to say? And when God told him, he said, how long do I have to say that? Even Jesus in the Gethsemane Garden said, I do not want what you want. Evidently, to have the word of God so clearly in your heart that you are confident in telling others what God wants of them is not an easy place to be. It's not easy because prophets were often called to tell people where they had failed. 
Now, having said that, I admit I've known people who were kind of acted like they were applying for that job all the time. They're quite good at telling those around them just how they have failed, but being able to tell those around you how they failed doesn't necessarily mean you're a prophet. It could just mean you're a jerk. <laughs> what made the prophets reluctant is that prophets were often called to speak to those that they loved, and telling those that you love where they have failed is nothing to celebrate. But Jonah's reluctance is different. God called Jonah to speak not to those he loved, but to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. That empire had brutalized Israel. Jonah's trouble is not that he loved the Assyrians. He clearly did not. Jonah's trouble is that he feared God might love the Assyrians. And when God loves the wrong people, it makes us mad. I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But today, we meet Jonah in the belly of the fish. You know the story. He's called to go to Nineveh. He catches a boat in the opposite direction. He's thrown overboard to protect the innocents on the boat from a storm. Then he spends the weekend in the belly of a fish who evidently dines on krill and disobedient prophets. If you want to know what kind of fish it was, it was a big one. And it is in this moment in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays. And it's not a prayer of lament, why has this happened to me? It is not a prayer of supplication, how long, O oh Lord, must I endure? No, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He prays with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. I find the timing of this prayer to be odd. Jonah gives thanks when he is at his lowest point. While he sits in the belly of a great fish, surrounded by whatever else is in the belly of a great fish, he gives thanks to God. This prayer might make more sense to me if it had come after Jonah had been delivered but here it seems like gratitude expressed ahead of schedule. I suppose there's something about being in the belly of the fish that is clarifying. Sometimes crisis can be our teacher. Sometimes crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And sometimes it is in crisis that we see God most clearly. I read of Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov. He was a crewman on the old Russian submarine, the Kursk. It was almost 25 years ago now. The sub suffered an explosion in which most of the 118 crewmen were killed instantly, but 23 survived for a while. From the belly of the sub on the bottom of the barren sea, Kolesnikov wrote to his wife, none of us can get to the surface, he wrote. 
The emergency lighting had gone out, leaving them in a chilling darkness. He continued, I'm riding blindly now. Yes, in one sense, but in another sense, he was seeing things very clearly. In that moment, he wasn't a crewman on a sub. In that moment, he wasn't primarily defined as a Russian sailor. In that moment, he knew he was a husband. He was defined by who he loved and who loved him. And the only thing that mattered in that moment was to connect to her. He wrote, I hope this, they find this note so that I can tell you one more time that I loved you to the end. It's been my experience that often a crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And often a crisis is the place we see God the most clearly. And Jonah realized that he was not just a prophet. He was a prophet called by God. Like it or not, he was called by God. He belonged to this God. And that's all that mattered to him in this moment. Uh, Thomas Foster wrote the book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor, sort of unpacking a lot of the metaphor and meaning. And he, he writes in there that if a literary character falls into a pond or a stream or finds him or herself in a drenching rainstorm, they might drown. But if they come back up, it's baptism. Well, Jonah hasn't come back up yet, but he is the poster boy of baptism by immersion. And in baptism, we celebrate that we belong to God. We are claimed by God. And we Presbyterians, you have noticed, we, we kind of like to baptize infants, young children, because we want to make this point very clearly. You don't belong to God because you're good. You don't belong to God because you're smart or faithful or talented. You don't belong to God because of what is in your heart. You belong to God because of the love that lives in God's heart. The word of God came to Jonah not because of what was in Jonah's heart, but because of the love in God's heart and I think Jonah knew that was true. It's a love that called him by name. And at his lowest point, that alone was enough to make him thankful. Now, I don't know who wrote this little short story of Jonah, but I tell you, had I written it, I would have had Jonah give thanks, but I would probably have waited until he was on the beach. Gratitude comes more naturally when life is good. One of my favorite places in the world, one of my favorite places in the world is Quetico, Canada. It's a national park just over the border from Minnesota. It's miles and miles of lakes and woods. There are no cabins. There are no motorized boats. They're just 
canoes and tents. And several summers ago, I went with my son, just he and I. He was 24 years old at the time. We carried our gear and our food and our fishing poles. And when we got to the portages, that's where you carry all of that gear from one lake to the next. He carried the canoe. We had six days and five nights. In the middle four days, we did not see another soul. It was just the two of us in the wilderness. We ate fish that we'd caught an hour earlier. We watched bald eagles feed. We built campfires and we talked late into the night. And I'll never forget the last night of that trip. We sat by the fire and almost miraculously, low in the night sky, we could see Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and Mars all hanging there. But what I remember about that night is the realization that came to me as I looked at this 24-year-old kid of mine. I realized I would always be his dad, but I was not his parent anymore. He didn't need that for me anymore. He will always be my son but I am no longer his parent. Am I making any sense to you? We had gotten to a place we were supposed to get to, and it was good. And my gratitude was overwhelming. When life is good, gratitude is reasonable, sometimes almost inescapable because life's circumstances are so filled with blessing. But that is not Jonah's story. Jonah, life is not good for Jonah. He prays because he believes his life is over. He says he prays from the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. It's not hell. It's not punishment. It's just, it's just dead. And from the belly of Sheol, he prays with a voice of thanksgiving. It strikes me as thanksgiving ahead of schedule. Nothing good has happened yet except this. As strange as it is, I think this is the moment when Jonah clearly understands that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even in the belly of Sheol, he has claimed by God. We read this story because you and me, we're Jonah. We are. You are going to find yourself in the belly of the fish from time to time. You will. And when the crisis comes, you don't want to waste a crisis. Because sometimes crisis can be our best teacher. I'm not being romantic about this, and it's not automatic either. But sometimes crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And sometimes, sometimes it is in the midst of crisis that we see God most clearly. If I understand the text, Jonah is thankful because this unfaithful prophet who has rejected the call of God still belongs to God. With a voice of thanksgiving, he says, I will sacrifice for you. Old Testament scholar Phyllis Tribble is a brilliant 
scholar, and Dr. Tribble would hate my sermon. She's not buying this Jonah is grateful bit. She rightly points out that in chapter 1, Jonah wants nothing to do with God and points out that after Jonah is deposited rather unceremoniously on the beach, he does what God calls him to do, but he's grumpy about it until the very end. She says he's not really grateful. This prayer is what she calls counterfeit piety. Maybe. You might think Dr. Tribble has nailed it, but I wonder, I, I, I wonder if she's a bit too harsh on old Jonah. I think this short story it teaches us something about gratitude. Gratitude can be something we embrace when the circumstances of life are all good, but there's a deeper gratitude that comes not because the circumstances of life are positive. There's a gratitude that rests in the simple knowledge that we belong to God no matter what. From 1962 to 1990, for just over 27 years, Nelson Mandela sat in prison because of his violent opposition to the violence of apartheid. In February of 1969, he penned a letter to his daughters, Zanani and Zinzi, who were nine and 10 years old at the time. He wrote this, Zinzi says, her heart is sore because I am not at home and she wants to know when I will come back. I do not know, my darlings, when I will return. I told you that the white judge said I should stay in jail for the rest of my life. It may be long before I return. It may be soon. Nobody knows, not even the judge. But I am certain that one day I will be back at home to live in happiness with you until the end of my days. Do not worry about me now. I am happy, well, and full of strength and hope. Mandela sounds like Jonah. I called on the Lord and he answered me with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. What am I saying? I'm saying I think in crisis we see ourselves and sometimes we see God most clearly of all. And when we do, what we see is that no matter the circumstance, we belong to God, not because of what's in our hearts, but because of the love that lives in God's heart. And when we see that, it might be enough to make us grateful. Years ago, I traveled to Louisville, Kentucky, about 10 months before I went, horrific floods washed through and destroyed communities in and around Louisville. My wife Carol and I and a couple of van loads of youth from our church and a few other adults, we went to help. We spent a week working on Sophie's house 
We were, as I said, 10 months after the flood, but when we walked into her modest home, most of her furniture was pushed to the center of the rooms and the walls, all of the walls in her home were bare studs from the waist down. Some group before had come through and ripped out all of the ruined sheetrock that the floodwaters had destroyed, but no one had been back to replace the sheetrock. That was our job. We spent a week putting up sheetrock in Sophie's home. We didn't get the job completely finished. So when the week was ended, still a lot of the furniture was pushed to the center of the room. She didn't know when another group would come to finish the job. Before we left, we stood in her front yard and we held hands and we prayed. And Sophie prayed this. Lord, you have not forgotten me. It is your face I have seen in the faces of these young people. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And I was stunned. The crisis did not define her faith. Her faith defined the crisis. Here's what I want you to reflect on this week. Your life will be a mixed bag. It'll be a mixture of plenty and want, joy and sorrow, sickness and health. It will. I hope it leans toward the blessed, but you'll have your share of the broken as well. We all do. But no matter the circumstances, you belong to God. There is no power in heaven or earth that can change that. And when you remember that that is the whole truth, even from the bottom, there's room for gratitude. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
remain standing as we affirm what we believe using these words from our siblings in the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand. We belong to the triune God, women and men, young and old, from many nations. In Christ we are one people, witnesses to God's love in word and action, servants of reconciliation and stewards of creation. As God's people, we look forward in hope and joy to the return of Christ, to the new heaven and earth, where evil and death will be no more, justice and peace will flourish, and we shall forever delight in the glory of God. Amen. The white rose in the chancel this morning represents a change in the life of our congregation. John Jack L. Houston died on January 15th of this year. As we remember Jack, we proclaim God's resurrection promises, giving thanks for life and life everlasting. And now confident in God, in a God who will never leave or forsake us, let us pray. God of all creation, with the psalmist this morning we ask with praise on our lips, where can we go to flee from your presence? Knowing your presence secures us wherever we find ourselves in life today. Whether we bask in the warmth of what we perceive to be blessing, we feel isolated and forlorn as if in the belly of a whale. You continue to be our constant companion and our great hope. So we pray that you might abide with us this day, giving us eyes to gaze wondrously upon the winter world, even with its cold, crisp air and frozen waters and trees that have shed their leaves, but whose branches still look up to the heavens. Help us to see beauty in strangers who still come to the rescue of those in need, and neighbors who, in a climate of fear, still refuse to let it consume them. We also pray that your presence would bring comfort and healing to those contending with illness of body, mind, and spirit, and consolation and strength to those who are caring for them. We know that your presence would not only stand with us in need, but press us forward, calling us into new ways of being. So we ask that you would help us embrace new seasons and ways of being in our own lives. Extend our compassion for those in need, whether they be kin or colleagues or strangers. Help us to invest and steward all the resources you give us so that the burdened will find relief, the lonely community and the forgotten another chance that they need for life and life abundant. We know that your presence, O oh Lord, is not only for each of us, but also for the communities, the cultures, and nations we inhabit. Indeed, your presence pervades the whole cosmos. So gratefully, we ask that your spirit would abide with our world as it contends with a changing climate 
and wars and rumors of wars. Let the spirit of peace dismantle cultures of violence and, and give us abundance. Let it free hostages and rebuild a torn community in Israel and Gaza. Let it restore freedom in Ukraine. Let it bring justice within the halls of power in our own country and vitality to our streets and neighborhoods here in Chicagoland. Let your presence allow our children to hope once again and our elders to dream dreams. All this we pray in the name of the one through whom we know there is no place your love cannot reach us. In Jesus Christ, who taught his followers to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God's faithful presence, dear friends, in all situations models for us how to be and act in this world. Every day, Fourth Church and the programs of Chicago Lights strive to model faithful presence in the lives of so many in our community. So whether it be through education for all ages, worship opportunities that move our hearts and minds, opportunities to break bread together, and the offering of care and relationship to uplift the soul, so much of what we do here seeks to make God's love real. As you give to our ministries and programs through your offering today, you too allow us as a community to make God's loving faithfulness a reality for all God's children. Your morning offering will now be received.
join together in our prayer of dedication. Before we knew our deepest needs, O Lord, you knew us and nourished us with great care. Give us grateful hearts willing to meet the deepest needs of our world through the gifts we bring you today. May we honor you with the good we seek to do in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go from this time, remember this truth. You are loved. The love of God calls you by name. It is a love that will never let you go. Let that love encourage, inspire, instruct you to do the good that is yours to do this week, to share the love that is yours to share, and trust that God will use that to lead us to God's promised day. 
And now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of God's Spirit rest and abide with us all now and forever. Amen.